and welcome to the Zenial Dome with me, Gareth Gwynn. And me, Essil Sears. This is the podcast that explores the generation that was born between 1977 and 1985. So basically the people who were born between the last episode of Dad's Army and the first episode of Red Dwarf. That's a nice category. Yeah, it's a really nice place to be, I think, isn't it? It is. I think we'll get letters... Because I'm pretty sure the first episode of Red Dwarf isn't until 1988. Ooh. And I'm pretty sure the people who know that are the sort of people who write in. That's fine. I don't I don't mind if people write in angry. Just any no. engagement would be nice. I mean, like... Do you know what? But I've headed this off at the past by knowing it myself. Because I'm the sort of person who'd write in. Uh, but there we are. That's, <laughs> that's that. Uh, feel free to drop us a line at any point, the Zenial Dome at hotmail.com, about whether or not the facts that we use for our intros at the start are correct, or about anything that comes up in the episodes. Um, and today's episode is great. Oh, every single one of them is great. Like, every week I, th- yeah. I try and think of a different synonym, and every week it's just great. <laughs> there is a point in this episode where Athena throws in a fact about herself, and my genuine enthusiasm and interest threatens to derail the whole podcast. (laughs) And I'm not going to say what it is now, but she's involved in, I think, one of the totemic zenial things. Like, a thing that anyone who certainly grew up in Britain uh, will have a lot of memories of, I think. Mm. And it's Uh, very obvious that it's something you're very passionate about, but aggressively so. That is the yes, yes. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I'm really. I was. I was so excited. Uh, well, well. This is going to spoil it. Let's crack on with. Um, so Athena is a fantastic stand-up comedian. Um, you'll have definitely seen or heard her on TV and radio. Yeah, she's been on Mock the Week and the News Quiz, and she has her own podcast as well called Keeping Athena Company. And also her BBC Radio 4 show, Athena's Cancel Culture, which is still on BBC Sounds, is well worth listening to. And in fact, in this episode, Athena mentions in passing a story about how something she once wrote in an email in a previous job led to a gross misconduct trial. Now, the full story of what was in that email and exactly what happened is part of her Radio 4 show. So if your interest is peaked, by the mention here, then do check it out. But not before this week's Zenial Dome. This is 1981's and Athena's Cancel Culture's Athena Kablenu. I'm very aware that sometimes I feel very young and sometimes I feel extremely old. Um, And I feel like that's a symptom of belonging to that class of people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think especially having been born in 1981, because that is the oldest you can be a millennial. And because, yeah, because I was born in 1981 as well. So I, I completely get it where you keep hearing people talking about millennials and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm one of those. And then what they're talking about is stuff to do with, I don't know, like avocados and stuff. And I'm just like, what? What are you talking yeah. about? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I'm cheating because I remember teletext, you know, it's like, I can't possibly <laughs> yes. be a millennial. I remember the subtitles, eight, eight, eight and all that stuff. So it's, it's ridiculous, yeah. but I, I, I still hold on to it. I hold on to it. Excellent. Well, <laughs> that is, I mean, that's exactly the sort of the point of this idea of a zenial as a group who are the very end of generation X and the sort of <laughs> very start of millennials. Does that feel more comfortable then to go, oh yeah, there's a little group that we can go 
Oh yeah, it's about time we we started to own our um, our ability to to inhabit both worlds. You know, yeah. we're 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 the middle bit of that Venn diagram. And it's about time we assumed our own identity, our own way of dressing, maybe our own language. <laughs> um, but I think you know, there's far too much emphasis on baby boomers, and there's far too much emphasis on millennials, and we're kind of like missed out from the conversation. But we're suffering too, man. Like we're Ooh. suffering. We're struggling. And I say this every single time, but I do like to think of us as like the enablers for everything that's good about now. Because if we hadn't taken on board new developments and stuff that were happening in the early 80s, you know, um, late 90s, like we wouldn't have a lot of stuff now if we'd have just said, no, thanks. I don't, we don't want mobile phones. Thank you. Exactly. We could have put Donkey Kong in the bin. We could have been like, what is this? Game and watch. What is this nonsense? I'm happy with my, I'm happy with my pogs. You know, yeah. if we if we hadn't if we hadn't had you know an affinity for Tamagotchis and all this nonsense, we wouldn't have the PS Five. Okay, so we are owed a exactly. debt, a great debt, because what we had to put up with was shit. Okay, <laughs> I still. If you have you seen a Donkey Kong recently? Like when you if you revisit it, it's literally the biggest pile of. It's terrible. Um, but we, you know, we were very enamored with it and thank God we were, because if we thought, if we'd saw it for what it was, we would not have, um, the internet today. No. <laughs> I love the idea that the Tamagotchi was like the early printing press <laughs> of the digital world. Yeah. <laughs> I got Amazing. quite into Donkey Kong over lockdown because I've got one of those messes <gasps> with like 30 games. Donkey Kong's one uh, of them. And you go, oh, look at this rubbish game. And then four hours later, you're like, I'll, I'll beat it. It's, I will beat it. <laughs> if I remember correctly, it's just jumping barrels and, and you get more and more barrels and you have to climb yeah. the little ladders and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And immensely... I mean, you said that in a very dismissive tone, but actually there's a lot to it. <laughs> were, were you the sort of family who uh, embraced what the 80s and 90s had to offer growing up? Were these in your house, the computer games? No, because we were broke. We didn't have any of this stuff. It was all my friends that had it. Although we had like, so actually I, I'm doing my, my family disservice. So we had a, we got a Mega Drive eventually. Um, but in, in our day, in our day, mm. see, we can say that sentence. <laughs> and you can say that. Can't say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but in our day, you wouldn't, everybody wouldn't have a console. You'd have a Nintendo friend, you'd have a Mega Drive friend, you'd have an Amiga friend, you'd have a Jaguar friend, and you'd all go to each other's houses. Um, and so whilst we didn't have everything, you know, we kind of had like a bit, you would still get to experience it because you'd be, you know, you'd spend your weekend like five, six, sometimes way low, 20 of you in someone's living room passing the controller around. Um, so, but we embraced it in the sense that we wanted all that stuff, but we didn't get all of it, sadly, but we wanted it all. Mm. So we, you were the Sega house in this uh in Oh, this yeah, yeah. So we, we, we were the Sega house. So, you know, Sonic, Superboy Man, um, Echo. I mean, a lot of the stuff was crossed over anyway, but we had Echo the Dolphin. Oh, my God, Echo um, the Dolphin. Seriously, trying to explain Echo the Dolphin to someone these days. is like, well, it was kind of like they were trying to put a message out there about how the it's really important to keep the oceans clean. Yeah, <laughs> like, ahead, of, it, ahead of its time, right? Yes. Ahead of its time. And it was, um, I always remember it had great music. It had yes. really good game music. Um, yeah. And it was really well, I don't call it animated and stuff. So you could, you could literally have just lots of fun making him jump. You yeah. know, you just jump out of the water and do a little, do a little twirl. I just, I, sometimes you wouldn't play the game. You just make him do a little, because it'd have like a practice mode, wouldn't it? 
Um, yes, I'd forgotten about that. But you're so right. And yeah. Considering how um, computer games have, have come on now and they're so lifelike. You're, like, I think Echo the Dolphin was one of the first ones that was... It, it looked like it, you were watching like a documentary or something. It was so clear. It did, you know, it. If, yes. I'd love to see it again uh, if, if, to see if it's like how I remember it. But it... Um, yeah, it was like Blue Planet. It was it was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. If you saw it again, you know it's going to be pixelated. You you just yeah. know. <laughs> but we were just saying actually that it's interesting how actually you you bringing a baby onto like a, a work thing is kind of a zenial thing in itself. You know, it's it's like oh okay. Because if, if, if you want to, if you want as a woman especially, I think if you want to get on with your your work and stuff and you you want to have kids sometimes both of them kind of cross over <laughs> i would say i don't know if we're the first but it's definitely a significant thing of our generation that it's not really possible to just have one person work um mm. but we still haven't got to a stage where childcare is just like 50 50 because for, for lots of reasons um yeah. so i think it's also a necessity as well as the fact that we're awesome <laughs> it's like <laughs> as well as that but I think it's necessity too and also lockdown lockdown has meant maybe as parents I don't know if you've done this but I've probably done more than I would have because I've not had to leave the house mm. so things that I would have normally said no to I'm like yeah yeah, yeah I can manage that and then you've got your, yeah. the two year old shits herself and you know <laughs> he starts screaming and you think oh why did I say yes to this and just but just the, in your mind you think I'm not leaving the house so it's not mm. a big deal but it's of course it's a big deal they still require attention but that's part of it lockdown has been part of it too i've just said yes, yes i'll do it i'll do it yeah. without really thinking well yeah and i yeah. think it's made people more accepting of that situation as well because you know well well it's either this or nothing <laughs> do you know what i mean so yeah yes. people are, and people are quite happy that kids are just kind of running in and out and you know it's not a massive big issue anymore so yeah what we like to do is find out what sort of um what sort of zenial you are so <laughs> okay. we've got some questions um just to see what your sort of vibe on these are um did you think hoverboards would become a reality and that you'd live yes. to see the day? Um, yes, of course I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe it was more hope than science, but I just didn't think... <laughs> so much from the movies, right, is, like, real. Like, obviously not, like, cyborgs and stuff, but, like, there's loads of stuff that... that like, Tron, you know, mm. like, Tron... Like, the internet is basically Tron, right? And the, they can... <laughs> I'm making this up. I don't think it's Tron. <laughs> Like war games, but you know you can you can remote control a plane to some place and have it drop bombs all from you know America. It's America that's doing it, right? So, um, and that's from the movies. Like you, could, I would never have, you'd, if you'd seen that in a movie in the eighties, you'd you'd think, wow, that's really amazing. But it's happening now. So I absolutely thought there'd be hoverboards, um, and there were hoverboards for a little while. You remember those little ones with wheels? But then they stopped selling them because they kept them blowing up and like starting yes, fires did. and stuff. Yeah. Yes, Marty McFly never had to deal with that. No, yeah. he didn't. He had, a, he had enough on his plate, so thank goodness. Um, <laughs> thank goodness. But they were like cheap imports from like China or, or like um, sort of Eastern Asia. They were just being manufactured really poorly. Um, and uh, um, we were so excited about having hoverboards. We, we didn't think about safety standards. Um, but yeah, they were really big for a while and they disappeared. Have you have you watched Back to the Future two recently? 
Yes. It's yeah, like, how shit is their version of the future? It's so <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I can't believe we bought that as like, oh, the Pepsi man is a little bit weird and the TVs are a little are blue. Like, we couldn't imagine a flat screen television, you know. Like, no. It'd still be a box, but it'll be a different colour. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't even picture it. Um, yeah. That's really so- interesting, actually. Just the, the perception of what um, like the future would be and what we kind of bought into, but then it never kind of materialised and we're still kind of like waiting for certain things to happen. Yeah. Like, come on. Like the jacket, the self-drying jacket. jacket. Why don't we have that? Yes, yeah. please. Yeah. Well, that's what gets me about that film is the fact that there's a self-drying jacket and everything floats. But when, <laughs> he, when he loses his job, he gets a fax. We couldn't imagine communicating any other way. Dot Matrix as well. It was Dot Matrix that message. Dot, 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 dot. You're fired. Dot, 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 dot. Brilliant. That's so true. They couldn't even imagine telepathy or something. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Did you wear a mood ring? Yeah. yeah. It never changed colour. It never changed. It was always like a weird indigo colour. No, it would only really change if you kind of really pressed on it really hard or something. Yeah. And it would it, always stay on a colour that you didn't want your mood to be. So like, you know, say you was in a, on a colour that said that you were really depressed or something. It's like, oh no, but I'm not. It would just change and you would just be there like pressing it. I think they would change when you had a fever. So if you had COVID, your mood ring would be like, oh, I'm in a good mood. Right? So basically it was just a It wasn't a mood ring. It was, are you sick? They, or you got, you got a temperature, love. You need to get yourself sorted. Um, I don't this think, might yeah. be like a solution. This might, it might be better than test, te- um, track and trace. So, right, give everyone mood rings. Yeah. I'd much if prefer it, it to those swabs you have to put in the back oh of your throat oh any, God. any day of the week. Horrible. Horrible. I'd love to see you in a mood ring, Gareth. <laughs> Did you have a hotmail.com email address? Of course I did. And it was, I had several of them and they were stupid names. Like, (laughs) mostly based off off of The Simpsons, like Principal Skinner or like Groundskeeper (laughs) Willy. I don't know. They were never normal. And I had, um, yeah, I had about three or four silly ones. They, everyone did. Because of um, Messenger. Yeah. Yeah. MSN Messenger, yeah. I spent some time on MSN Messenger. (laughs) I haven't thought about that in a while. (laughs) That was the early WhatsApp kind of It was. MSN manager. But I also recall meeting people I didn't know on it. I don't know. How, I'm trying to think about how I did that. But I also recall connecting to people who were like, oh, hey, Dave in Manchester. I don't know who you are mm. or why you're grooming me. But let's, let's <laughs> roll with it. Um, let's roll with this. But I just, yeah, I definitely recall, because I was quite an introverted child as well. So I really enjoyed that time of, me- like, did you use ICQ? No. No, but I remember that being, yeah. a th- I think MSN Messenger might have, killed icq maybe but i only possibly yeah MSN. it was for geeks so for, for geeks like us we used um mirc which was instant mm. relay chat and we used uh, icq and i really enjoyed that because being quite shy and quiet that was a really nice way to kind of like just like chat and gossip and share stuff um and message and then yeah you were and messenger kind of made it made it for you guys you know the, yeah. le- the, the ones who weren't so geeky um and <laughs> <laughs> the people who had lives basically um and but yeah and then but then I just yeah and I remember like it used to be a big thing at school like whatever what the chat was on a MS a messenger you go to school Monday and you'd be like oh my god and it would be some kind of issue I remember it being a big deal but I can't remember specifically what or why or how but it was part of our social life MSN messenger that sounds like you were quite sort of 
tech-minded as a kid then this was would have all you'd have all been on top of all this stuff I, yeah, I always say it's really odd. My brother, so I've got a twin brother, and he got into computing, um, and I and I sort of did more kind of art and literature kind of stuff. And it, it never it never occurred to me that I could do computer stuff for a living. I just thought, oh, I just this is just normal. And then I just forgot. What I'm saying is, I used to be good at computers, but I never really yeah. was told this is a big deal, Athena. Like I could code, um, yeah. I could like I could hack into games and build my own levels within games and stuff like that. So I could do all wow. kinds of things. Isn't that isn't really cool? And that's only because that's what me and my friends were into. So my brother was into it and his friends were into it. But I just kind of didn't think it was a big deal. Um, and it never, it never occurred to me that that could be a job or a career or a profession. Uh, I imagine at the time that a lot of adults wouldn't really have known either that you could be doing this as a job. I mean, because for a lot of parents around that time, a lot of this stuff could have just been fads to them. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. So we used to build like, so I learned HTML, which is not the most complicated language anyone will tell you, um, but I learned, I used to build websites and stuff. But now I'd be like, wow, Athena, you could be a website designer. Like there were no websites. Like they, you could yeah. design this crap. The websites were Ask Jeeves and stuff like, I mean, the websites, the websites from the sort of mid to late nineties were really, you know, those frames and like, you know, the yeah. fonts were like really, you'd have like heading, heading one, heading two, and they were really crap. Um, and a little counter. <laughs> yeah, a little counter. This this site has been visited by seventy people. Like, oh my yeah. god, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And guest books. Do you remember guest books? Yes. So if you if you visited a site, you'd be encouraged to sign the best <gasps> guest books so that you'd been there. Because these sites were visited by so few people, it was deemed a useful, a, a good use of people's time to just be like, love your site. That's Thank absolutely you. Absolutely mad. Imagine doing that now. Because Im- imagine, imagine the way that you go from one website to another now and you do it so far. Like, you don't have time to sign guest books. You know what I mean? <laughs> How would you do that? It's just a phenomenal... And what would you say? What would you What would you say <laughs> to BBC Sport? Like, what do they need to hear from you that is going to be of any use? It's quite sweet, isn't it? What does ASOS want to know about your experience on their website? Like, nothing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, like, like you said, Gareth, it is quite sweet. There's something quite naive about it. <laughs> yeah, there is. Like, overly polite. <laughs> I, I caught myself getting properly nostalgic for the sort of late 90s internet. Ah, oh, remember websites the other day. <laughs> and, and backgrounds. So you'd get, like, backgrounds and they'd be tiled. So they'd just be, like, images of, like, whatever the site was about. I do remember it. websites for me were all about things you were fans of. So I remember going mm. onto the websites of you know, of bands that I liked or of TV shows that I liked. So for, I think at the beginning, the internet was very much like, oh my God, I love this. You know, let me go onto a website for this TV show uh, or this band or whatever. And it, it, there'd be like a tiled kind of image of the band in the background. And then there'd just be like pages about silly facts about whatever you was into. I just had to be really corny and sweet and naive. You mm-hmm. said naive earlier. Naive yeah. is a lovely word to describe it. On a different note, um, do you remember where you were when Diana died? I do remember where I was. So I used to have a paper round um and um so i was in oh i was in bed um and i remember i used to wake up in the early for this paper round and i used to listen to kiss fm and i used to play drum and bass in the mornings right but then it was like classical music that morning and i was like what's going on oh. here um and obviously it's it because because she, she died and the whole country lost its shit um and yeah. then i rode my bike I rode my bike to the to the news agents and obviously she died and the papers were just releasing new editions after new editions after new editions, right? So eventually we got our papers to deliver them and I was literally telling all the people I was meeting, Diana's dead. I was delivering oh <laughs> Oh I was God. going around North London. Diana's dead. And I remember, wow. I do remember specifically this, 
the newspapers are crazy and they every day for about three or four days the newspapers were like black and i just ended up covered in black ink because mm. i was just delivering all these newspapers on paper around with like all this kind of like the new place were in the morning, right? So I'd go to school with like these black streaks on my faces. But <laughs> oh it looked like I was God. in the morning. <laughs> so, yes, I remember exactly where I was where that Dana died and how and the implications and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. And that you broke the news to so many people. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it and it was a Sunday morning, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was. So on, yeah, those, I remember that. on Sunday mornings you tended to see people because they'd be waiting for their papers because Sunday papers mm. are really thick. They don't mm. fit through letterboxes. So they would want to open the door for you. Otherwise they just end up in shreds because I didn't give a fuck. I'd just shove it yeah. through the letterbox. <laughs> you know, you get your Sunday Sunday time style in pieces, put it together yourself, love. Um so lots of people would, would, would know you were coming and I got always quite friendly with people on my round. So they would yeah, so so that's how I'd be like and they'd, they'd be like, Why is it so late? Because I remember I got the, got I was doing I did the rounds quite late that day because like, like I said, mm. all the papers were being re-released. And I was like, Oh, Diana's dead. <laughs> it was a big deal at the time man yeah, I, I didn't, it was yeah I didn't get swept up in it so much I was almost like it felt like you had to be swept up in it so people wouldn't judge you for not being swept up in it if that makes sense I was really conscious yeah. of that like people and it started to get to, it got to the point where I remember there was a hairdresser that didn't have a poster of like RYP in, on the wall and, and someone complained and it's like it's a wow. hairdresser's wow. like it's like what yeah. what they they just do hair. I don't think Diana minds. Um no. yeah. <laughs> so it's got better things to think about. Yeah. So extraordinary times, yeah. Your programme for Radio 4 recently focused um heavily on cancel culture. So you you were talking about like cancel culture amongst um celebrities, um, but also looking at the history of offence and being offended. Do you think different generations view today's cancel culture differently? Yes, I do. Um, and it's, it is age-based. It's also just education-based. So my position is always people have cancelled people forever. I think it's a natural state of, of human psychology. It's a, it's a natural psychological state for humans. I think when we were out in our caves, we would have cancelled someone for eating too much bison. Or, or, I don't know, like whatever. We would have been like, Dave won't stop eating bison. He needs to go. So we, as a collective, I think we, it's normal for us to look at someone and, and say, we want to excommunicate you from our collective. I mean, Jesus got cancelled, guys. I mean, it's just, come on. Let's, let's, <laughs> literally, you know, the king of the Jews was cancelled. So um, so this, this is not um, a phenomenon that is new. The only thing that's new is the fact we all have the ability to do it now. And that maybe we are all we are all kind of more educated about otherness and othering and what's quite wrong in the world. And what that means is we are in a position to look at something that someone says or does and be like, that's bad, and then react to it. So it's a combination of like having the power and also a combination of not really knowing what to do with it. Um, <laughs> that is kind of given us a slightly different view of cancel culture. And I think older people, it's not just about age too, it's about where you come from. I think maybe older people are used to only being the, to being the only ones who could cancel people you know if you're an old white guy you know and you're quite middle class or upper class and you you're used to your views being respected in the public sphere so you're used to saying oh we don't want um this guy in the in the public eye so we just won't we'll just do this we'll do we'll do a job on him in the papers or mm. or whatever you're used to 
having that control and now working classes have that control now people who aren't white have that control but people who don't really uh, correspond to like a status quo have that control that's quite scary to the andrew neils and everyone's mm. level oh no, no no it's woke culture gone mad so like, like there's always martin luther king got shot in the face do you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. don't talk to me about people culture going mad like you know this idea that we've only just started canceling people in this in this world way we're not shooting them in the face we're just we're just um we're just cussing you on twitter yeah. You know, so, yeah. but because they've never experienced that power being in someone else's hands, it feels terrible. There's a really famous quote that no one knows who said it that um, the problem with equality is that it can make you, it, it can make people get inequality feel like you're oppressors. Does that make sense? I'm saying the words wrong, but it's like the, the problem with progress, it can make, um, it can make you feel oppressed because you're losing a bit of your power. And that's all that's happening with the people who don't, with this, all this anti-woke nonsense. It's like, mm-hmm. anti, why would you want to be anti-woke? I don't understand. <laughs> what else are you anti? Oxygen. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't stand clean water. Let's put some mud in there. <laughs> the positions that we have in cancer culture that are different are mainly due to age, education, class, whatever, lots mm. of things, I think. Yeah. I mean, do you think it existed in the playground in like, especially in the late 80s, early 90s? Do you think that kind of, because the words I associate with my school days was um, calling someone sad. Oh, that's really sad. Oh, what you're doing there is really sad. That's so sad. (laughs) I have forgotten about that. (laughs) And that's a form of cancelling someone, isn't it? Like by saying, you know, no, you're not relevant. I think it was really frivolous in our day. So we would cast people. We would cast people for wearing the wrong shoes. I mean, I, mm. yeah. I mean, I was part of that. Like there was there was an element of um, being cancelled if you would if you just weren't cool. Mm. You know, you yeah. weren't if if you were wearing the wrong clothes, if you were saying the wrong things, if you, you know, if yeah, if you if if you just weren't cool, you'd get cancelled. Um, mm. Yeah, that's definitely my experience of the eighties. <laughs> definitely. I mean, did that, did that mentality bleed into your adult life then? Because I think from from going from that playground, because it was quite brutal, I think, when we were younger, because we were just branding about, you know, what the rules were and you had to kind of conform as a group, you know, as a collective of friends or whatever, to be cool. Did that mentality kind of follow you into your adult life at all? Um, sadly, it did. It took me a long time to grow up, I think. I spent a long time, for me personally, thinking about how I would be perceived by other people and whether or not I was fitting in rather than doing what I liked. I think it was, I think I was like that until I went to university. It was only when, until I went to university and I was like, oh, everyone does things differently. Like my little corner of North London isn't the way the whole world works. Mm. That, that's when I started to be, be, be a bit freer with, with kind of, you know, little, just silly things like the music I listened to or the clothes I wanted to wear or, um, you know, just the things that I wanted to do. So, but I, yeah, I think... I think that now it's just worse because it's on social media. Mm. So you can't, at least I could go home and yeah. like, I wouldn't have to think about someone, you know, if I had really, I had really poor, I had a really poor sense of style as a child because we didn't have any money. So we didn't wear designer clothes or we just went to CNA or, or, or you know, or, or just CNA. There was nowhere yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the market, you know, so mm. we, I never looked great. But that's fine because there was no one there to take pictures of me. There's not that many pictures of me as a young person. So now uh-huh. there's more pressure because your life is recorded almost daily. Mm. Um, so I think it'd be, I think that might actually be worse now. Yeah. I, I do find a lot of social media oddly reminds me of school. Like mm. I, I will sometimes be on it and go, this has a real school <laughs> vibe. Like I sort of think sometimes I feel on Twitter like, 
oh, Twitter's good if your favourite part of school was watching other kids getting told off. You know, when people are rounding, when people are rounding on someone, I get really sort of stressed for it just because I'm like, oh, this is how I felt when Neil was getting told off yeah. in school. I do love, I do love people getting dragged on social media. I do love it, if I, especially if I think they deserve it. I love a oh, social yeah. media dragging. Yeah, it, it, and also, like one thing we don't often talk about, but we need to. How funny Twitter is, specifically Black Twitter. And I talk about this in my in my show, but Black Twitter is so funny. Please plug into it, guys. Just follow a few people. It's so, the memes, the jokes, the one-liners. So a lot. The reason why I like a dragon is not just because someone's suffering; it's because it's, it's so artful. Some of it is so artful and so beautiful. Um, so there's a bit of finesse to it too now as well. Before you just get beaten up behind a bike shed, but now there's a bit of finesse to it, which I appreciate. <laughs> Someone's at least gone to the trouble of photoshopping something. You know? Right. There's a, there's a craft and there's a bit of art in it. Yeah. Oh. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> I, think I, I think I still find it too stressful. I think I still find you, it. <laughs> let me give you an example. Do you remember when um, uh, Ber- uh, Bernie Sanders wore those gloves uh, yes, uh, and that yes. coat? And they, people made all those memes about him at the inauguration. Yeah. I was crying for three days i swear i'm not lying i found it so funny what people were doing with this meme you know yeah. and that wasn't even a dragon that was just like no. found something no. and yeah. it's quite funny um or do you remember do you remember the weekend did the the, the halftime performance at the super bowl and there was a little clip of him wandering lost in like in like some some kind of hallway of lights and that clip went viral and people were saying all yeah. kinds of stuff about what they were yeah me looking for something in Aldi or something and I just thought this is hilarious this is yeah. so so I use that yeah I use the weekend one for um for St David's Day so in Wales you have to dress up in all your traditional clothing and stuff and the big thing on that day is that mothers everywhere are looking for safety pins yeah. so, <laughs> so that meme for me was perfect for St David's Day yeah, That's, yeah it's <laughs> that's what I love so I do I think we talk about Twitter as being this horrible place but there's such a lovely creative energy in mm. there too that it, it makes me laugh every day I swear to god it makes me laugh every day so what did you do before you came to comedy what you were so I was um I, I was roughly what you call a project manager um I worked in waste I worked in education I worked uh, I spent the last few years of my day job working in transport and building large-scale infrastructure I worked for the Olympics at one point for a couple of years best job in the world it's amazing <laughs> um so I'm Basically, project management. But if you want to be specific, uh, I worked in planning. So I would help people build big, big things. So before you build something, you've got to go through a planning process. So I would do that. That's what I did. Um, the Olympics feels like the most zenial thing in the world <laughs> because I feel like my entire 20s were spent with people talking about the Olympics was going yeah, to happen. because I, I, I swear to God, I remember when the Olympics was awarded, and I remember this because it was awarded, I think, believe the day before or after the 7-7 bombings. The day before. People forget. Yes. It was yes. the day before. People yes, forget it. This. And on the day of the Olympics, we were, I'm learning archery. I'm doing judo. We were all thinking about what could we become Olympic level athletes at within the next eight years? Do you know what I mean? We were just like, what is, what could we do? So or was it four? Uh, I think it was eight years. Um, I, um, I can't remember that. Um, and then obviously next day was seven bombings. Um, but you're right about that energy. There's a, there's a generation of us who we were just buzzing for that. Just that we were like, uh, um, for for years we hold that yeah. um, and it was and I was fortunate enough to I was lucky enough to you know do you know do you remember in my I don't know if you, if you listen to all of the episodes of my shows but I talk about going through a gross misconduct trial yes best yeah. ever happened to me <laughs> well it was so I was so humiliated by that process and so ashamed of myself I handed in my notice at that job and like, that's when I went to, that's when I went to the Olympics 
because I got a job oh, there. Oh, wow. So had I not gone through that process, I would have just probably stayed in that job um, and, you know, kept doing what I was doing. Um, but I, yeah, I applied for a job at the Olympics and I got Gosh. that. Gosh. And so yeah. um, as someone who watched all of the Olympics, yeah. uh, <laughs> what, which, which bit did you go, I did that bit? Okay, so it's a bit it's a bit hard to explain. So basically, oh, well, I'll explain it if you're interested in this stuff. When I, I am. Run, you, uh, I cannot explain how interested I am. <laughs> <laughs> when you um, most countries, when you when you say I'm going to have an Olympic Games, you pass an Olympic Act into your Parliament or whatever, and that Olympic Act basically says if it has to be done for the Olympics, it's getting done. Basically, it's literally like the most undemocratic thing in the world. Uh, the Olympic <laughs> Act in this country was done a bit incorrectly in the sense that they said. When you build an Olympic park, you're you're the planning authority for that area, so you can do what you like in that park. You can literally make a massive slide, which is what they did actually. <laughs> now I mention it, yeah. Um, you can. It's an Olympic park. You are the planning authority. You can do what you like in it. But as you will know, a lot of the Olympics happens outside the park. In fact, maybe fifty percent of Olympics happen outside the park because you've got to have mountain biking, canoeing, and they didn't make it so they could do what they liked. So everything that happened outside Olympics needs a planning application. I, just, I, don't, I can't get across to you the vastness of this work. <laughs> I if you think about, you know, because you'd have all these temporary structures, these semi-permanent structures for, for the football, for the tennis, for the sailing, um, and not just that, for, for training venues, because guess what, mm. every sport, you have to build a venue for the sport to be practiced in the lead up for the games, right? So it was a night, I say nightmare, but it was a lot of work. Um, so that's what I did. I went and joined the team uh, that helped push through these applications. And the local authorities were bastards because they were like, oh, you want to you build a basketball court here? If you build that here, you've got to give us all this money so we can get, have some swings or something. <sighs> so it got really difficult, which is um, <laughs> fortunate for someone like me who worked in planning. So I could, uh, I, I, and I would help with that. And some people really didn't want the Olympics. I used to work in Weymouth, right? Where they did sailing. They mm. did not want the Olympics at all. Oh my God, there was a <laughs> lot of, I loved going to Weymouth because the crabs are really delicious, but the, um, <laughs> the people, not so, not so hospitable. Um, <laughs> but that's basically what, what I did. Um, and it was vast, it was huge. And on my first day, I met Denise Lewis. Can you imagine? Wow. On my first, and I, 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 don't know, I don't know if you know who Ed Moses is, but he's a, a, a very famous uh, athlete. And I met him too. And I met Mark, uh, the swimmer, the sexy swimmer. Foster? Mark Foster, yes. Um, uh, another thing people don't realize about Olympics is it's not, it was only about 200 people that worked for them. It, only, it was only about six months before they started to ramp up all the people. So, and you had a job, but you would sometimes have to do other stuff because you'd just be there. So that's what, that's why I got ended up doing all kinds of stuff. Like whenever a venue opened, so when they opened like the aquatic center, like I would mm. be there doing stuff. I'd just be thinking, what am I doing here? I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe sending dirty emails got me here. It was, and, it, and a, a big regret, a big regret of mine is at that time I wasn't doing comedy and I was still a little bit shy and introvert. I didn't take enough pictures. I didn't take uh, nearly enough pictures. I didn't, I had a crap, you know, smartphones are still crap then. I had like an okay phone. I had like a crappy Blackberry, but I didn't take mm. nearly enough pictures. So very sad about that because I had a lovely experience, but I have the memories because I'm still yeah. young. I haven't forgotten my memories. And you so, can just yeah. buy, the, um, buy the DVD of the Olympics that narrated by Eddie Butler and just go. They gave us loads of swag. I've got so much Olympic swag, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got all sorts. Watches and hoodies. I still sleep in like this po- wow. really nice polo short shorts. Um, so I've got loads of Olympic swag out of it. It was really good. We had the storeroom. I shouldn't I probably didn't say this, but when you have when you're on Olympics, what you tend to do is you tend to you send a delegation to go to the event that's been held previous to you. So our one was Vancouver. 
which is a winter yeah. Olympics, obviously. And they got lots of like ski gear made of like oh. 2012, like all those Adidas skis. So I got, like, when I found the box full of that stuff, I was like, taking that, taking that with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I got this beautiful yeah. jacket and these trousers and stuff. Because a lot of it was just, you know, once it's used, it's stuck in a corner. So yeah, yeah I got yeah. bare Olympic swag. Very proud of my swag. Yeah. And also, oh, that kind of job as well, you would have worked your ass off. So you deserved that stuff. Do you know, yeah, it was very much uh, a work hard, play hard environment. Yeah. It was a very, it was an amazing job. But yeah, it was very, there's a lot of travel. And there was a lot of, you know, you don't get, you don't get the planning consent. You can't mm-hmm. hold the games. Yeah. <laughs> so like I thought, like I thought it was, a, it was playing silly buggers with us because they were never going to, you know, these councillors were never going to vote no on these things. But they were, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of money in the Olympics and they quite rightly wanted to get as much as they could for their communities. Um mm-hmm. And good for them, and they, and they did. Uh, but it was very complicated. London is not a hospitable place for multi-sports events, and it, mm. for that reason, this is a very boring thing to say, but it's not. Um, <laughs> so for that reason, there was a lot of stuff that had, had to happen across the country uh, that involved a lot of paperwork, and I yeah. helped with that paperwork, basically. basically wow. Yeah. I mean, that is the most zenial thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so what... What made you make the leap to comedy then? I'm quite intrigued by it. Was there a moment where you went, ah, that's what I should be doing? Yeah, so I was always aware that when I worked, um, I was never, uh, there was always people around me earning more money than me, but not being smarter than me. So I suddenly realised I was in a system where I wasn't going to work, get what I, I deserved, if that makes sense. Um, and that's, you know, for various reasons. Um, I had an incident uh, years and years ago in a job where I felt like I'd been discriminated against to get a job but rather than doing anything about it I left incidentally two of my friends successfully did their workplace for work- workplace discrimination and they got loads of money I was a bit annoyed by that I was like shit I should have done it but I remember at that point I remember thinking oh, I'll never take a permanent job again I'll only do temporary jobs or like contract jobs um that have an end date which is why the Olympics is great because has an end date um so I thought I'd just be a bit of a mercenary, become a contractor and run my own business and stuff like that. But I always felt like, oh, this still isn't really fulfilling. And concurrently, I was always mm. meeting people um, who were like, oh, I feel you're really funny. And when you change your job a lot, which is what I was doing, you met, you get a new supply of people telling you how funny you are, right? Like, it's like, okay, okay, all right, fine, I'm funny. Uh, I remember reading like at the Sunday Times Rich List and there were these comedians on it who were very rich. And I remember thinking, what like that person that like that person's not funny like what i don't so i remember thinking i'm funny i could be a millionaire (laughs) 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 is it that easy to make money so that so a lot Mm. of people telling me i'm funny me me needing a bit of money and thinking i I think just being a little bit unfulfilled i thought let me and i didn't know anything about the open mic circuit i knew about comedy i watched I, i used to go hackney empire and watch comedy Mm. Um, I'd watched, gone to O2 in London. I watched comedy, yeah. so I kind of, I, I've got, I'm a big fan of. I, at at that point, I was a big fan of people like um, uh, Chris Rock and and like big American comedians. I loved, so I didn't have any like, concept of what I was going into. Thank God I didn't, because if I did, <laughs> I would not have, you know, I would not have, have done it. You're going to drive to rugby and you'll get ten pounds in return for it. And, you know, if, if someone tells you you're going to do that, you just be like, you're having a laugh. No. You're having a laugh. But what, what I will say is this, and this is I, I call myself lucky every day, and for lots of reasons. And one of the reasons I was lucky is because by that point I was in a lucrative career, and not only was I in a lucrative career, I was in a career where I was I could kind of set my own terms. Uh, in yeah. fact, after I left the Olympics, that's when I became a proper proper contractor. So I literally go, this is what I want. 
if you don't want, if you don't, you can't give it to me, mm. I'm not coming. So I could say I want to work from home. I could say I want Fridays off or I could, I could do all these things. So I got a very good deal. I, I only, it's only in high, well, it took me a long time to realize how good my deal was, but in terms of trying to become a comedian, the biggest barrier is sometimes your day job or your, it's your responsibilities yeah. because you so so much travel and you don't get remunerated for it. And it's a very stressful thing. So if you're, if you do shift work, for example, comedy is really hard. If you don't get paid a lot of money, comedy is really hard. Mm. Um, if you've got a lot of family, comedy is really hard. I didn't have kids at that time. So I had all these things in my personal professional mm. life that were really, um, um, really helpful or supportive of my, or they could, or they weren't, if they weren't helpful to support, they weren't restrictive for mm. getting into comedy, uh, which is really good. And another good thing, I'll say this, I rode my bike everywhere. Why that's a good thing? Oh. I would ride to my gig and I'd ride home. <laughs> I wouldn't hang around. I wouldn't drink with other comics. I wouldn't, it was, and so it was a little, that's really good because otherwise the, the circuit gets quite exhausting. Mm. That culture of going out and hanging out with comics all the time and, yeah. you know, and, so I never experienced any of that Me Too shit because I was never there. I was like, I'm fucking off. I'm going home, mate. I'm not staying here. That's so interesting, actually, because I've spoken to loads of other female comics kind of our age who maybe started a bit later as well. And they say the same thing. They never got that hassle <laughs> because they weren't yeah, around. Yeah, we had better or... things to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, I had a, I, you know, I had children at home. I needed to get home and get them to school the next day. It's like, yeah. yeah. But barring that, someone would have tried to fondle me. I, I'm certain of it. <laughs> I like to think so. I like to think that if I'd been around, someone would have tried it. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to think, you know, that it wouldn't have, it would have been an issue for us as much as it would have been for these young millennials. Yes. Right? That's what I like to think. Definitely. <laughs> Do you think that's um, quite a zenial trait then? So, because I, I heard you say on another podcast that you, when you were venturing into comedy, you didn't want to risk financial instability. Mm. Do you think there's, because I feel my parents, for example, have always been very good with money, very careful, very, very frugal. They don't waste anything. Um, my mum still checks her receipts against her, her you know, um, her bank statements every month. It's wow. madness. Um, mm. But, you know, there's so thing. Whereas I, we grew up in a time where you know, capitalism and yuppies and um, consumerism w was just booming and you were told to want all th this stuff. So then we were kind of straddling that as well of, you know, maybe having parents who had been really careful because they just wanted stability for their kids. And then suddenly you're just faced with all these adverts for stuff that you should want and they're going to cost you a lot of money. Do, do you think that's yeah. kind of a trait that you have? It's weird because we're the new labor generation. We went to school during new labor, which was yeah. all about if you want it, take out a loan and buy it. You know, money is cheap. Use it to get what you want. You know, use conservative principles that to lead a socialist life. Mm -hmm. That which is really, really weird message, but it worked for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, if you want that flat screen TV, you can have it. You know, why mm -hmm. shouldn't you have it? Why should just the rich? Why should just rich people have nice things? I think one of the reasons I was, um, <laughs> I think we remember we have a memory of the 80s, which is horrible. And we have a memory of the 90s, which is great if you didn't have an ASBO, because right, the ASBO years. Um, and so we're probably somewhere in between. So we like the idea of accumulating wealth for security, but we also like the idea of accumulating wealth so we can have nice things. So that's where I think I'm at with it. Mm. Um, you know, growing mm. up we're in a, in a family where we didn't, it's weird, we never went without, but we were very conscious of the fact that we never had a disposable income. Yeah. Does that make sense? It was like, yeah. we never went without. I swear to God, we never yeah. went without. But income was not the idea of a disposable income that you just were frivolous with. It just never, 
that yeah. and so when I had that I was like I'm saving it because mm. I and on top of that just this is an individual thing I don't think this is a general thing I'm not a very material person I kind of hate shopping mm. uh, I don't like owning things I, I, I feel like my life became materially complete a long time ago I don't think I ever needed what a long time ago so because I've always believed in that concept of material completeness that was another thing that made me think I'm not risking financial security yeah. because yeah. it's like I don't, I, I don't how those two ideas connect it's sort of like now I'm here I don't want to risk it does that make sense like yeah. it took me so long to get here I don't want to go back to mm. like you know not having certain things um yeah so yeah we, we, we're kind of we come from a cautious time and we come from a time where, where we're not so cautious and we're probably somewhere in between I would say so the name of the podcast is the Zenial Dome and the idea is is that there is a dome where there will be the items that <laughs> represent the Zenial experience so what item would you put in the Zenial Dome that goes yeah that's up you're going to think this is mad but I'm going to tell you what it is do you remember those little data banks used to get they were like filer faxes but electronic yes yeah okay they were about credit card size maybe a bit bigger and sometimes they're a bit bigger and you basically put in people's names and addresses and phone numbers in them and like you know personal details you'd be like oh I've got called Angela look at my data bank (laughs) (laughs) because I think that sums up how we adopted shit stuff that therefore that then got developed into being good stuff. Like mm. if we didn't get into data banks for that little, there's probably a six to 12 month period where <laughs> data banks were really necessary, yes. right? That's really, so and I know it's only one thing, but also do you, please tell me you remember portable spell checkers. Please tell yes, you remember these things. I no. I remember, I remember them being available. There was this thing, right, where it was like a portable dictionary. It was like a li- almost like a data bank. And it was like a little calculator, but with kind of obviously letters. And you could check spelling on it. And there were portable, portable spell checkers. Like, yeah. So these are the kind of the idea that we needed these things <laughs> to hand, mm. but in a device and that we wanted to, to be portable. Around it, that that's an idea that we adopted. And obviously they turned mm. into smartphones. But that's why I'm going to put that in. Because it, if it wasn't wow. for that, we wouldn't have... Yeah you know iphones probably yes <laughs> but i just remember that yeah but. it's the fact that they're just but that's just for that there's, there's a device just for checking your spelling just that yeah. you can't do, no yeah. you can't do anything else with it that's all just. you can do that. <laughs> it did have games because i had because because oh. we used to get boring christmas presents and so it was educational it had, it had like i remember it had a hangman game on it so you could play like guess the word and I'm sure it had a, a synonym game in it where you'd have to type in synonyms of like a word I still remember this oh, I still this remember this so and I'm, <laughs> and I, I'm sure if I go to my mum's house I'll find it somewhere and I swear to god I'm going to google it after this I'm going to email you a link to if, if there's oh. any proof that this thing existed but I, I will, but I will yeah. put in the data bank I'm going to put in the data bank what a brilliant choice. <laughs> yeah, because the data bank reminds me, actually. It was kind of like, was it like a digital file of facts then? Kind of a, yes, yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah, because yeah. I remember getting one because I was a massive big fan of Absolutely Fabulous. And there's one <laughs> scene in um beginning of one of the episodes where um, Jennifer Saunders' um, his character is getting ready in the morning and she has everything in this digital <laughs> data bank. And I wanted to be her. I wanted to do PR in London I wanted to go to these fancy parties so I got one to be like her in Ab Fab 
and I did go to London and I did become a PR <laughs> but by that point like, there like, you go I know I know but it's so it, like but I barely used it though you know I put my friends numbers exactly in it wasn't it wasn't a data bank it was you okay? <laughs> it wasn't a data bank it was you you had the power all along <laughs> Was there anything oh. that you regret embracing? Was there anything from that period where you're like, nah? It's mainly fashion. Ped- pedal pushers. Right. Pedal pushers have to go with a bit of lace at the bottom. Ghastly. Um, and then we... Oh, what did I embrace? Um, I got into wearing dummies. Like, those neon dummies. I mean, I don't know why. I'd forgotten yeah. about those. Completely um, forgot about those. And just... Was that a, was that part of like rave culture? I think it was rave culture. So a lot of yeah, a lot of rave culture was trickled down into what kids would wear. So we'd been I'd been primary school wearing stuff that people high on ease were into, um, you know. Oh, um, I miss those. And days. just and, and boy bands, mm. you know. I spent far too much of my time being into boy bands in a very intense, <laughs> which I think is our. I know, I know there's One Direction and stuff like that, but I feel like in our generation, it wasn't just One Direction. There was 50,000 of them. There were just loads of them everywhere. Every, every week there was a new boy band, yeah. you know, and I've, we got into that far too much. Yeah. <laughs> Who was your boy band of choice? Oh, I liked a band called m and um, and I also liked Damage, and I mm. also liked um, E17. Um, nice. So, yeah. When you said you lived in North London, I thought, I bet East 17 is going to be on this list. I, I just like, I could see that one coming over the horizon. Local boys. <laughs> yeah. But um, I always, I, I say this a lot, and I don't think, I, they're decent, you know. East 17 were decent. House of Love's a banging tune. It's a good tune. It's yeah. a tune, yeah. you know. There was, there was probably, Tony Morton was a, is a good musician. It's, um, yeah. This is what I can say. And I, retrospectively, appreciate take that i don't think i appreciate take that now i think take that i think gary barlow is, is our elton is, is our generation's elton john he's an amazing songwriter black for good is one of the greatest songs of all time um i believe this this is um uh, but at the time i thought they were terrible but now with, with maturity and hindsight i can appreciate take that yeah and then what we normally do is we end on either or questions and you don't have to think about these these are right. snap answers okay sure cycling shorts or bermuda shorts cycling Bum bag or money holder hung round your neck? Bum bag, bum bag. Crispy pancakes or potato waffles? Potato waffles. Danny Minogue or Kylie Minogue? Kylie. Sunita or Sonia? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, <I've> order. <laughs> Bang out of order. I'm going to say Sonia. Sonia. Yeah. Sonia. I'm going to Sonia. <laughs> that was a hard one, though. Oh, my God. But Sonia. Yeah, I, I, I didn't me think choose. out of this list, I didn't think that was, that was, was going to be like the Sophie's Choice one. <laughs> it's just because there's just that my nostalgia, they, they have an equal footing yeah. nostalgia wise for me. Yeah. But Sonia had more hits, mm. you know. She did, yeah. Sonia yeah. had one, yeah. And it, you know, so that's the yeah. to Sonia, yeah. <laughs> okay, Disneyland or Disney World? Disney World. Body Shop or Boots? Oh, <laughs> um, boots, because I could never afford body shop. Yeah. That shit was always expensive. <laughs> Mr. Frosty or Soda Stream? Mr. Frosty, come on. Belly button piercing or tongue piercing? <laughs> um, belly button piercing. <laughs> and finally, leg warmers or slouch socks? Slouch socks, come on. I, I mean, I, yeah, slouch socks, absolutely. Oh. 
you know, it's really funny. Every time we write this list, we add stuff in, and I think, oh, what if what if people don't remember this? But every time we've done it, you can see like this light <laughs> go on in people's minds. Like, oh my god, I haven't thought about those for years. <laughs> Slouch socks, like totes toasties oh, with the little rubbery yes. bits at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. those are comfort. We <laughs> yeah. had them in our household. We lived by them. Totes toasties. <gasps> I love yeah. those. Yeah, because we used to get them as stocking fillers for Christmas. Yes, oh, yeah. We get, oh. we get stocking fillers. That was the main present. Yeah. We talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Stocky fillers. Here you go. Here's your tight toasty. Wow. They, they definitely came from the uh, the fair that visited in November. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we should say that how can people find out what you're up to next oh um on twitter yeah find me on twitter uh, i'm hilarious on it i'm dragging people left right and center <laughs> um, <laughs> on, on twitter Making and instagram mistakes. when i when i remember i put a lot of what i'm up to on twitter and instagram uh, so come say hello there that'd be nice thank you so much for that that was fantastic brilliant thanks for having me thank you so much for um knowing how old i am <laughs> <laughs> That was Athena Kuglenu. Really enjoyed I, it. I love that. I found that so interesting. Um, that was right up your street, wasn't it? It was, because I get slightly awestruck when I speak with anyone who's involved with an Olympics. I feel I should, like, <laughs> clarify this. I like the sport, but I find the infrastructure so interesting. <laughs> I if If we go on holiday... And there's an Olympic stadium. I always want to see it. Every time. I've been to loads of them. Um, and like literally within within my eye line, so you can see me on the Zoom on my desk, right? I've got, there we are. So that's my London 2012 tin, which has various like bits and bobs that I keep for office work. I've got, that's my, that's my Wenlock pen there. And that's my Mandeville pen there. So I've got the 2012 Olympic mascots there. Um, I've got a Misha next door, which is the Russian mascot. I've got the little model of that. And also, I brought these in because I knew we were going to merge this. That's my Olympic mascot t-shirt with all the mascots on them. <laughs> Starting with Waldy at the start. And this one goes as far as the... Um... Oh no, it goes 2012 with Wenlock at the end and all the ones in between. Um then I've got Listeners, one... he's not making it up. I've got <laughs> he's showing us all Let of this, this stuff. This is my this is my Amic t-shirt. Amic was the one from Montreal, 1976. That's my favourite one. There, wow. that's one of my Olympic t-shirts. And I've also got this one, which you were only allowed to buy if you worked for the BBC at the point when the Olympics <gasps> happened. It's the official because I was working on the. This is where this all started. I was working on the. Um, they were doing three now sh- live now shows a week during the Olympics. <laughs> we really did, as a country, we really did like lose our minds. <laughs> so we did three live now shows a week, eleven p.m. And um, I ended up having to. Uh, it's basically, if there were any stuff about mascots, infrastructure, um, I ended up writing quizzes about that. Um, so that, that's where I suddenly learnt all this stuff, and it's. It's really left a mark. I enjoy because I I don't think I take that much of an interest in the infrastructure, but I do enjoy it when stuff goes wrong. So when the um, Olympics was in London, um, a really good friend of mine worked for Visa and she was on the team that was working on Visa's involvement with the Olympics. And they had all the cash machines um, or cash points that they had across around the place. And when I went, I went to see the um, the equestrian cross country, 
and all the cash points were down. And I <laughs> I texted her quite gleefully <laughs> to tell her that they weren't working. <laughs> Best day of my life. <laughs> well, as well, the London one. I see we're going to go. But the London one, the army had to come in at the last minute, which yeah. everyone's sort of like forgotten that there was this whole thing about it all goes to private companies. And then about 20 minutes before the Olympics starts, they were like, oh, guys, we've got to get the army in to make the Olympics work. Um, yeah, there's, there's right now. Um, so on Saturday, when we were recording this, last Saturday, I went to the what's called Japan House, which is in Kensington in London, where they've got an exhibition all about the Japan 1964 Olympics Ooh. and they've got the costumes and the posters and the, <gasps> um, a display about all the little um, I- infograms that they use to show people around and all that. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Was it your birthday? And it wasn't my birthday <laughs> but um, a member of staff sort of came up to me and he sort of I can't remember how he phrased the question but the question was, wow, you're into this. Um, I can't... <laughs> got a display out and the fact that someone's taking a genuine interest in it is is shocking yeah yeah Yeah, because i I think i've got loads of photos on my phone (laughs) (laughs) so um here we are bear with me a second what was the mascot for that year then pre-mascot didn't have one oh oh, that's a shame yeah which year was the first mascot then uh, it was 1974, and it was Waldy, and he was a little sausage. Actually, the first one was a Winter Olympics. He was a little skiing guy. Uh. Um, but I think that mm, I can't remember that might happen like off the books. Like I think they were like some someone was just like made a little thing. But um, am I right? let me grab my t-shirt and check if I've got that right. 1974 Waldy. No, 1972 Waldy. Sorry, Ooh. sorry, I'm annoyed with myself. Is Waldy a dog? Waldy's a little sausage dog. This is brilliant. So yeah, so Athena was a dream guest then. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, and a great choice for the Xenial Dome as well. The um, yeah. the little memory bank as well. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So thank you very much to Athena. Uh, we should discuss correspondence. I've got one that relates to MySpace. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, we are on MySpace. And we are trying to get people's suggestions of songs that we should have on our MySpace page that relates to the Xenial era. And Stuart Laws of episode four got in touch mm. this week. Yes. And he wanted to suggest uh, Natalie Imbruglia and Torn, which I think is a great choice. I think it's a great choice. I think that is one of those songs that you feel ran through those years. Like it was everywhere and yeah. you couldn't get away with it get away from it um and also our producer ewan when this came up listed all the country because this had been recorded in a variety of languages in a variety of territories i think there's a danish version there's an american version there's a norwegian version it's (laughs) it's really like done the rounds so what i think is until we get more suggestions for our zennial playlist then we should just have it in all its languages (gasps) So I think we just pick Natalie Brudy's Torn and then yeah. all the various ones that are basically the same song in another language. And then that way, at least, there's something for people to listen to. Yes. And it's educational. Uh, and then 
one by one as other songs come in, we can knock them off. So that's what I think we should do to get going. Yeah, considering how well um, the uploading of the profile photo is going, I'm going to say that I'll be happy if I manage to upload one song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, surely Natalie Bruce Torn will be on their database. Surely. Should be. Um, Other correspondence we've had in. Simon said, add me to the list of people who had a Paul Daniels magic set. I'm telling you, he made a mint out of those. Like, more than any TV appearance he did. I bet you that's where he made his millions. I was back in my parents' house recently, and oddly I couldn't find... Well, I I didn't expect to find the Paul Daniels magic set, because I think that... I don't know where... I don't know where old Paul Daniels magic sets go to die. But I weirdly found, like, a knockoff version, which was just, like, the Hocus Pocus magic set, which had a lot of the similar bits and bobs. Yeah. Um... But yeah, if you had a Paul Daniels magic set and successfully performed to someone your age who didn't have a Paul Daniels magic set, <laughs> let me know. Because I'm convinced it was just people showing each other tricks they knew. Yeah. <laughs> Next, Kevin got in touch. And he said, If I've learned anything in the three episodes so far, which shows that we haven't read this one for a while. If I've learned, <laughs> if I've learned anything so far it's that you had cell phones so much younger than we did over here and i believe kevin is uh, getting in contact from canada yes now i think this is off the back of jess's episode mm-hmm. where she said she had a phone at 15 yeah and she was born the same year as me which means she had one before me so i think i had my first mobile phone oh was i 17, I think, was when I had my first one. You and our producer, who is also a Xennial, but is uh, a 1977 Xennial, he didn't get one until he was 45. No, until he was um, <laughs> 21. So he's told of his paper. So you're only who's 21. That seems to tally, though, because I think if, if it, were, it was the eldest Zaniel out of us and he got a 21 then I'm in the middle and I got mine at 18 going on 19 and then yeah. you got yours Gareth the younger 17, one 17 going on 18. that kind of yeah. tallies so Jess is, is very young and also it feels like MOBAs weren't really in school much like it wasn't really for very young people at that point I don't know how many like young teenagers like that would have had them I think or, I was one of the. I think I was one of the last of my friends to get one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. I think I was quite late on out of my, out of my pals to get one, and um, everyone had the very big one that was orange. Mm. I can't remember what make it was, but it was an orange phone, and it had five ringtones, most of which were variations on Ring Ring. And the last one was like a very flat version of I think my heart will go on, but changed enough to get around copyright. <laughs> like it was like a real like droning beep. Like, <laughs> awful. Oh, so yeah, so maybe let's give a bit of a teaser then as to who's coming up next in the dome. Not a teaser, let's just let's just name them. <laughs> let's just <laughs> Well, a clue would be that I wouldn't be surprised if next week's episode was 24 hours long. <laughs> like this outro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week's episode, if you can edit it in time, is Mark Watson. 
um, who you will know from Taskmaster, or if I mean, if you've been to Edinburgh, you will have uh, become aware of. I mean, he's he's a stand comedian. He's he's on. I think he's on tour now. Uh, he's absolutely fantastic. But in Edinburgh, he became well known for doing shows of mind bending length. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of which I got involved with. Basically, I turned up to the audience of one of Mark Watson's shows, and within 16 hours, I found myself in France. That is the sort of thing that happens <laughs> when you go to one of Mark Watson's shows in Edinburgh. Like, it really is. Anything can happen. I've never been to a show before where, during it, the comedian has said, can you get your passport now? <laughs> and... Me and my friend Tom, who was like, we're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, right, good, because, and then, yeah. Anyway, that might be a story for next week. <laughs> the point is, Mark Watson's great. I'm so excited that we had him on the show, and uh, he's on next week. So I think that's our cue to go now. Bye. Yeah. Th- thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>